Hello and welcome to a brand new and dare I say very special episode of the Five Heart Podcast. My name is Greg Mahochko and joining me this time around, oh, you know him, you love him, and more importantly, we have missed him. He is our dear friend, Hoss Reuter. Hoss. Well, um, it's good to be back. Uh, it's been a minute looking at the log here for Skype. <laughs> I think I last talked to you uh, November 25th of 2020, uh, one day before Thanksgiving, which was also my 30th birthday and also the day that I found out that I was positive for COVID on my 30th birthday. Oh, joy. Yeah. Real nice double whammy. Triple whammy. I, uh, um, I found out that I had COVID about two months later. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't have it for two months, but it, you know, t- two months after that, I, I caught it to, uh, there at the tail end of January, and uh, I, I feel I feel pretty good, pretty good now. Here we are into May, and uh, you know, as long as the temperatures stay up and the pollen stays down, I can breathe. Yeah, I, as somebody who also suffers from pretty bad seasonal allergies, I'm in the same boat you are. Well, let's. Uh, do you mind? We everybody knows, you know, that for the longest time, you and I were the Five Heart Podcast, and then we brought mm-hmm. in uh, our founder and fearless leader, John Dam Johnston, and the Tripod was born. Yes, it was. And then brought to you by Blue Chew. Right? Oh, did you hear the? I, I was awfully proud of the latest Blue Chew ad we had on the last episode. I mean, we went full. I went full in uh, radio copyright mode. It was it was something to behold. Um, I'm not going to repeat it here because I, I lost the, the script, but, uh, I encourage folks to go back, listen to the latest uh, episode prior to this one of the five heart podcast. And you'll know exactly what I'm talking about if you don't already. Uh, but like, I mean, you came on the five heart podcast. I, I'm, I'm giving more history than I need to, but I'm, I'm, you know, trying to set the table in 2017 when Brian yep. went in the hospital you st- stood in, and then we all know what happened after that. And then you became, you're like, you, I, I feel like your approach to it. And tell me if I'm wrong. Was uh, I'll I'll do it till you find somebody better. And it, there's just nobody better, you know. Well, I don't know about that last part. I, there <laughs> might be a few people better than me out there, but that, as far as the first part, you're spot on. I remember. You know, when we were all kind of trying to pick up the pieces after Brian's passing, we were trying to figure out who was going to set the editorial calendar for Corn Nation, who was going to do what, who was going to write about recruiting. And, I mean, I really only did stuff for Corn Nation for three, four months out of the year, writing my X's and O's breakdowns. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, what the hell? I enjoyed talking to Greg when I filled in for Brian when he was in the hospital, you know. Hey, you know, I'll, I'll fill in till you find someone on a permanent basis. Well, it just kind of became a permanent basis. I think somewhere along the lines that season, I think it was probably after that Minnesota game that we've referenced multiple times on this <sighs> podcast, uh, the 2017 Nebraska Minnesota game, where we had like a three hour episode, um, just crying in our beer and trying to figure out where <laughs> to go from that rock bottom. That it was just kind of like, yeah, like I'm not a guest on this podcast anymore. Like this is my podcast along with Greg, you know, as the skipper. And it just went from there. And, you know, we've done a lot of fun things on this podcast. Like when we did the, you know, meet the Corn Nation staff, yeah. you know, 
Coors Light hot seat kind of thing, you know, a couple, three summers ago and interviewing, you know, other writers from, for, you know, whoever we were playing that week. And, you know, we just did a lot of cool things, a lot of profanity. When John got involved and, you know, it was kind of a, it became a podcast that we talked about football, but there was a lot of other stuff that was discussed from time to time on here. And, and we had a lot of profanity and then John got involved mm-hmm. and <laughs> it really took off from there. Um, so kind of to, to give maybe some, some more of our you know, newer jump on listeners here, a, a little bit of my, an idea. It, to remind the listeners when you decided that because of, of school and, and, you know, you, you did the, you tried the traditional college student route. No, I, I'm, I'm going to say this as delicately as I can a decade ago. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you're like, eh, you know what? Not for me. Um, so you took some time off and then you said, you know, I'm going I'm to go back to school. And mm-hmm. you were at uh, University of Nebraska, Omaha, where you uh, uh, picked up your degree, which is a fancy way of saying your degree. I don't know why. I, did the really odd pronunciation. And you're like, no, no, I'm not done. I'd like to add a little extra torture, spend a little more time, and I'm uh-huh. going to go to University of Nebraska-Lincoln for my master's. Yeah, you basically, you encapsulated that perfectly in that short statement. <laughs> and um, I'm not ashamed to admit it. You know, it's the course of life. Uh, we all have a different one. I was, you know... 11 years ago now. Yeah. 2009 is oh, 12 years ago. Math was never my strong suit. Um, you know, I, I went that's to why he took so much college. time away from school. What was that? I said, and that's why he had to take so much time away from school. Go back to exactly. the basics. I had to, you know, I had to learn the whole multi- third grade multiplication table <laughs> by heart. You know, again. Um, no, uh, 2009, you know, I graduated from high school and, um, kind of had an idea of what I wanted to do. I always wanted to do something with, coaching football and teaching, but I just, you know, school wasn't for me at that time. So took some time off and, you know, went back to school when I was 25 to start on my teaching degree at UNO and graduated with that in May of 20 from, uh, and student taught during COVID last spring. And then I applied to UNL for, uh, the educational psychology master's program, got in, just finished up my first year with, uh, doing that. And really, you know, it's it's been a 11, almost 12-year ride now and went from a 19-year-old community college dropout to a 30-year-old graduate student in a master's program at a Big Ten university. So it's been, uh, it's been quite a ride. And if I may, I'd like to brag on you a little bit because you didn't just finish your first year of the master's program, but you did it with a 4.0 Haas. We're proud oh, you're of you, making buddy. Me blush over here. That's okay. Nobody can see us. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I took well three classes in graduate school is full time, so nine credit hours in grad school is full time course load. Me being me, I thought oh, I'll take twelve. You know, instead of taking classes in the summer or having another semester somewhere along the lines with a lot of classes, I'll just take twelve this semester. And so, yeah, four classes, four point and. Uh, not a lot of sleep involved in those four months and it was a semester with no spring break. So it was, um, it was quite an accomplishment. I don't mean to be bragging about myself, but 
It, I definitely understand why they don't recommend taking four classes at one time in grad school now. You peeled back some of your Five Heart podcast involvement when you were doing some of the student teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, summertime, and you're like, okay, I'll, I'll come back a little bit. And, but I think when, when you got to, uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to say you got to Lincoln, but you, you know, I, I don't believe you changed residences or addresses or anything like that. But but when you got to the master's program, you're like, ooh, there's some complexities here. I really have to focus on my studies, which, of course, absolutely. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we were all, A, understanding, and two, supportive uh, mm-hmm. of, of that. So you, as you mentioned, popped in there at Thanksgiving and and as I've I've told you before, the door is always open to you at the Five Heart Podcast. Um, but you reached out to me uh, a couple of weeks ago. So before the spring game, you're like, "Skip." Paraphrasing now, <laughs> uh, yeah. I got an idea. And and actually, I I, I talked to you about wanting to come on and talk about offensive and defensive lines and. And where you saw them, and we might touch on that uh, this episode, but I think we're, we're looking more big picture here uh, because uh, everybody who's familiar with Haas Reuter knows that the line play is is your speciality. Um, mm-hmm. But you said I got I got an idea for a show, uh, and that's kind of where where we're gonna jump right in. It, I remember. We had, I can't remember if they were on the record conversations or if they were, you know, after a recording where, you know, we, and this is what we used to do. We used to cut, you know, end a 45 minute, 60 minute, uh, recording and then BS on Skype for another 15, 20 minutes after that, you and I. But mm-hmm. we were so excited when Scott Frost was hired and we said, 2021, 2022 season, we're going to, we need to make plans to go to the national championship because that's where our boys are going to be. Yep. I, I, you know, I can tell you still the exact date because I have one of those eidetic memories. You are lucky. Uh, <laughs> we, I, I believe that was like, I want to say like June 30th, 2018. You and I were discussing that. I don't know why I remember that so clearly, but I just remember like, Doing a podcast, I think we recorded on like a Saturday night because 4th of July was in the middle of that next week and things were going to be off. But I just remember like talking to you about that and we were like, yep, 21, 2021, 2022, you know, Adrian Martinez is going to be a senior. We're going to be, you know, everything's going to be humming and rolling, you know, down in Lincoln. We better get our tickets for the national title game. We, at, at the very least, we're like Indianapolis. Yeah, I yeah. said. Big I said. Hell, I said. You gotta hell, walk before you can run. Right. I said. Hell, you get. You get to where I'm at, and I, we'll drive over together to Indy. Uh, you know, we'll just make a party out of it. Um, <laughs> and who knows? It could still happen. It, it could. could still happen. It could. And and wouldn't that be the best thing in the world if it did? Um, yes. But let's talk about some of the things that have happened since then. Uh, we can go back to that first game uh, under the in the in the Scott Frost. Era that wasn't, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Akron, I believe. Um, yep. And I, oh I, man, I was pissed off that night. <laughs> right. um, oh. We're, we're going to have to hit the pause. Uh, one of my two uh, newborn sons is screaming, hollering in the other room. Uh, so it, I'll be right back. All right. 
So everything, let me, let me rephrase. The, the Scott Frost era started, well, like dance with two left feet, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there was the six straight losses to open things up, finally getting a win over, I think, Bethune-Cookman, you know, that first year. Uh, Minnesota. Okay, Minnesota. Minnesota. And then Bethune-Cookman. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, a, a couple more here or there, but nobody wants to go 0-6 when, when you're the – when you're the golden child, it's it's not a good look to come out of the gates going 0-6. And, and I know we'll, we're going to talk about some of the factors. One of the biggest things, and I think, I don't want to say maybe to his detriment, um, but correct me if I'm wrong because you do have that terrific memory. At some point, didn't Scott Frost say that he didn't realize how fractured, broken, any other type of descriptive word the program was until he got into it. You know, like he, he's like, oh, well, you know, they had nine wins two years ago under Mike Riley and things didn't go, you know, to, you know, the, the Huskers way in that third season. Uh, and then he got in here like, we're going to turn the ship around. You saw what we did at Central Florida. And then, you know, he, he gets into the muck and the mire and things were, you know, I think that's, that's, I don't want to call it an excuse, but, uh, we continue to talk about that on Coronation is he didn't know the depths, uh, of, you know, again, I don't know, brokenness is not the right word, but he didn't know how, how far, how much the rebuild, uh, would include, um, until he got into it. And so here we are now, the beginning of his fourth season. Uh, coming up, you know, this fall, we had a, a COVID season, COVID shortened season last year. So no non-conference play. Um, the trip to Ireland is understandably off. You know, maybe we can book that, uh, for a couple years out or something like that. Um, nothing has gone to plan in the Scott Frost era. It's been hiccup and setback after hiccup and setback. Um, to the point where, you know, there's a, Segment of the pop, of the fan base that wants uh, uh, wants old Frosty to to go. Yeah, and I think addressing it from the top of what you said, you know, where Frost maybe didn't really realize how broken things were around here. I think he alluded to that after we lost to Purdue in 2018, where you know he said, you know, it's unfortunately going to get worse before it gets better. And I think really what the pretext that the pretenses that he came into this program with taking over from Mike Riley, it's almost like the program was like to use a, like a dentist analogy. It's almost like the program was like this, this tooth. And like on the outside, the tooth looks fine. It's white or white enough. You know, it looks like it's okay, but inside, you know, the pulp, you know, it has pulp necrosis. It's rotted from within. It needs a root canal. You know, it just, it's in horrible shape. You know, the foundation, the very foundation of this program was so fractured, you know, from the previous 17 years of football, you know, that had taken place from 2001 to, you know, the start of 2018. And so I think what it really boils down to is maybe the, when Frost took over, you know, and there were some bold proclamations made, maybe we should have properly framed 
him taking over here as a complete rebuild, uh, or maybe not even a complete rebuild, a complete reboot, tearing everything down to the foundation, hell, pouring a new foundation, you know, and building it from the ground up on solid footings. And so I think when there's people who are, you know, they're out on frost and they want him gone and they think he's just blowing smoke up everyone's ass. I think it's a case of our own expectations got away from us a little bit. And we didn't properly think of where the program was at in the proper context. I've gone back and watched games from that 2017 season. recently. It is amazing and not in a good way to see how ineffectual we were in 2017. Uh, we've made progress since then. It's just been that small incremental improvement, you know, that eventually you pile enough of it together, you're going to do some big things, but we haven't seen that payoff on the field yet. One of the things, and it always comes back to this, lack of a better term, buzzword, and that is the culture. You know, the culture Mm -hmm. of the Nebraska football program and uh, (laughs) – got it. Got a powerful set of lungs uh, <laughs> in the house for anybody at home able to listen. Um, but the, I don't know, not the identity. I think oftentimes when people think of identity, they think, uh, you know, the option, uh, the yeah, smothering. Offensive de- and defensive schemes. Right, which is not, which is different from culture. Culture is, identity is, I, I'm going to, Perhaps I'm oversimplifying. Perhaps I'm not even right. But when I, I think of these two, um, identity is physical, culture is mental. Yeah, and culture is really just the collective. Everybody's collective contributions or collective adherence to the values within the program. Um, you know, when you have when a team has a strong culture, it's because people are on the same page. Everybody in the program is on the same page from the head coach to the assistants, to the players, to the support staff, and then on back up to, to the administration. Everybody's on the same page. Everybody has the same expectations, the same values that they're holding up. And that really, when everybody is doing those same things, and I hate to borrow a phrase from P.J. Fleck, but when everybody's <laughs> rowing the boat in the same direction, that's a pretty profound and strong um, effect that it has because – you know, you, you can get into all sorts of different psychological concepts like social proofing, positive peer pressure. Um, Bill Belichick talks a lot about social proofing in New England, where if guys constantly see other guys doing the right things for the program, you know, showing up for to lift weights, for conditioning, for extra film, paying attention to meetings, people see that and they want to be a part of that in group of people who are doing the right thing for the program. So it really, the, you know, it builds upon itself where you got all these people doing the right thing. You know, eventually that's one collective identity culture, you know. I was going to jokingly reference uh, our esteemed uh, vest and tie wearing coach from Minneapolis, but uh, I thought – I thought better of it, and then you went you went right into it. And but, you know, as much as I don't like the man, he's from a psychology standpoint, especially like an organizational or educational psychology standpoint. He is spot on. Just do it in a way that doesn't make you seem like a used hot tub salesman. Yeah, 
Um, I won't even give him the honor of being a car salesman. As a former car salesman, I thank you. (laughs) Uh, People need cars. People don't want used hot cars. Right, right. Uh, So, but it is a a top down mentality or or maybe not mentality, but system that uh, needs to be implemented. And I'll be right back again. So I, you mentioned row the boat and PJ Fleck kind of jokingly. I was actually going to bring it up as well. Um, just you know, wh- while you were while you were thinking about or, or you know in in the process of talking about getting everybody on the same page, it's something that starts at the top. It's got to start with your head coach or possibly even your athletic director, all the way down through the assistant coaches, through all the players, the trainers, uh, you know the the water boys. You know, the, 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 the guys who hold, uh, you know, the carry around the footballs, uh, you know, everybody's got to be singularly focused. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we talk about culture and we've seen, I, I guess I'll, I'll frame it this way. There has been an amount of attrition in the last three off seasons, I'm not necessarily going to count this one because, first of all, it's not completed yet. But the at least, at least what's not coming not coming officially from the program, but certainly from people quote unquote in the know is that people are, are you know guys aren't buying in, guys aren't you know wanting to put in the work, and and I think we've talked about this in the past is. Um, adding by adding through subtract adding through subtraction easy for me to say you're getting better through the guys that you're losing because one reason or another they're not working out either they don't want to put the work in they have a, a cancerous attitude uh, you know or they're not seeing the playing time on the field that they want and it's it's you know souring them etc so I guess let's start there. And let's talk a little bit about attrition because we, we found just, you know, since the last uh, Five Heart Podcast episode was recorded, a couple of wide receivers uh, decided to take their talents elsewhere. Um, and they were not on a projected too deep, you know, de- on the too deep on the depth chart. So they, they've been on campus for a couple of years and have not, you know, seen a, a ton of playing time. While we're not getting into their situation specifically, there's a whole host of reasons why uh, a kid could transfer or enter the transfer portal. We saw it at, after uh, the season last year with uh, Wandale Robinson, who said, you know, mom's been sick. I want to go home. Yeah, publicly, that's what he said. If there were ul- ulterior motives, you know, be it, be it as it may. Um, but I forgot my well, I forgot how to get to my question now. Um, as far as attrition, it, it's should we, the fans, be so rushed to judgment when we see you know a couple of kids say that they're going to leave the program? No, we shouldn't. Um, if they're not, if they're not cracking the two deep after they've been in the program for going on three years now. You know, they're just looking for an opportunity to play it any level that where their skills might be better suited to crack the 2D. Um, people leave for new jobs all the time. Um, 
you know, the working world. I don't, I've never had a problem with attrition. You can hate it from a personnel standpoint of how that's going to set back your offense or defense, but it's never a personal issue. You know, uh, Wandale Robinson, you know, great player, but he wanted to leave. He wanted to leave. You know, nothing's going to stop him from leaving, you know, especially if it's his mom being sick, you know, or maybe he wants to be showcased in other ways in another program. Do what's right for you. Um, and I think a lot of that comes down to maybe, you know, they're not feeling like they're getting maybe the best development, you know, based on how they're utilized or their inability to crack the too deep depth chart. So they want to go somewhere where they're going to build, you know, the component skills to be the best football player they can be. You know, um, there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's a little bit more suggestive of a more systemic problem within our own program. You know, if guys are leaving in droves, you know, we see attrition at a little higher rate than what's normal, you know, in the rest of college football. That maybe is a case where we need to take a long look at ourselves as a program in terms of our culture, um, in terms of how we're doing things, in terms of our, you know, beliefs in ourselves, you know, as a program, both individual players and as, you know, a whole program basis and try to move on from there in a positive direction. Because if if a player feels like he doesn't have the self-efficacy to succeed or he's not being taught the component skills necessary to develop self-efficacy at a place like Nebraska, you know, there's nothing wrong with moving on somewhere else. And that really is kind of a the big problem that we need to address in this program. Well, I want to ask you about self-efficacy because I don't have one of those fancy degrees or working on an even fancier degree. So I want to know more about that. But I want to talk uh, quickly about some of these transfers. You know, I mentioned Wandale's going to Kentucky. Uh, Luke McCaffrey is at Louisville. But, like, nobody's transfer. I feel like nobody's going to you – know, nobody's transferring to Georgia, Florida, Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan, Texas, Oklahoma – uh, you know, you know, I mean, okay, what are they going to do? Transfer to Oregon State? That's not, you know, but yeah. I, and, and I don't, I'm not picking on any of these young men who are going elsewhere, but they're not like, they're clearly, it's not that they're world beaters. And, you know, we just, you know, they're, they, they were at Lincoln and not those other schools, you know, to begin with. And they're not going to, I, I put as, as, Politely as a can a contender. They're, it's not like they're leaving Nebraska and are going to go win a national championship the next year wherever they land, or or, um, or or they're going to go to a national championship contending team. They're not. They're going to, dare I say, lesser schools. You know, you, you can say lesser schools on in one breath, and then in the other, I mean, are they lesser schools at this point? Yes. I mean, like, (laughs) historically speaking, maybe not, but, you know, in modern college football and, you know, the average attention span, you know, or recorded history in modern college football is about four years through most of the general fan base of the sport. Uh, If you haven't done anything in the past four years, you know, you're an also ran, you're a has been. Um, But, yeah, they're not going to places where they're going to contend for titles. They're it's more indicative of they're seeking out better opportunities for their skills. Sure, sure. So, um, 
going back to the uh, the word or phrase that you uh, gave us, uh, one of those big university words, self-efficacy. <laughs> now, mm-hmm. we actually, we've done something for this episode that I couldn't tell you last time we did for the Five Heart Podcast, and that was show notes. Uh, yeah, and we actually, we showed up prepared. You showed up prepared, <laughs> but sure. but I didn't. as long as you have the document open in front of you, <laughs> that's prepared. Because I don't. I do, uh, which is good because I'm asking all the questions. Because you're you're the one who's a uh, uh, ed- educational psychology. Yes, sir. Same program as Dr. Tom Osborne. There you go. It's only a matter of time until uh, you know, there's a statue of you and a group of ragtag uh, players. Out in front of Memorial Stadium. It's only a matter of just time. Don't, just don't build it until I'm dead. Never build a statue <laughs> for somebody who's still alive. It does seem to be. Uh, it's just it's it's just weird. What is because I didn't while, while you provided me the literature. Mm-hmm. Quit laughing. I didn't provide you definition. You didn't provide definition. So <laughs> what is self-efficacy? Self-efficacy basically, what self-efficacy comes down to is how. How confident are you in your own abilities, the beliefs about yourself to perform and execute certain tasks? Um, it was originally authored. Well, self-efficacy was really the concept of it was originally invented by Albert Bandura. Um, he's a psychologist, yeah, graduate of the University of Iowa. So he's the only Hawkeye that I'm actually cool with. You know, I'm a huge Huge fan of Albert Bandura. In fact, in psychology, I would say that I'm a Bandurian. But um, it basically, it just comes down to when you've been taught the necessary skills, the component skills to be successful, those develop, give you a baseline of confidence. That confidence is what's called self-efficacy. And so you have that on an individual level with specific players, you know, and their skills that they've, that are either the inherent talent that they already possess or the talent that they build upon through, you know, practice, the weight room, and repetition, you know, of plays and film work. But also like self-efficacy exists on a collective organizational level. And that's really where I think Nebraska football, and I said this on Twitter probably about, three, four weeks ago, Nebraska football has a self-efficacy problem. You know, um, it's almost like the program views itself as like the college football equivalent of the Chicago Cubs. You know, the hard luck, lovable losers, you know. And yeah, there are some parallels between Nebraska football and the Chicago Cubs. But I, I, I really don't want to see those parallels exist. Because I'm, I want to win championships and don't want to go on a 108-year drought, you know, between championships. I want to stop you so, right there so I can say, you hear that, Nate McHugh? We want to win yeah. championships. We don't want to be like the Cubs. And, like, unfortunately, I think our administration down at the university views us Husker fans the same way the Ricketts family views Cubs fans as, hey, they'll show up no matter what. We don't need to do anything, you know. But – um Really, on a collective level, on an organizational level, I just don't think that we have that belief in ourselves. And I think that personally, this program self-efficacy took a major hit. Our confidence, in other words, took a major hit back in 2001 out in Boulder, Colorado. And I think that 
aside from a few glimmers here or there in the past, you know, 19, 20 years since then, we've never really gotten back to having that confidence in our abilities as a program. You know, the mystique of the old Nebraska program, as we knew it from 1962 to 2001, really was washed off in that game against Colorado. And so with self-efficacy, I think that it comes from properly framing where we're at right now. You're when Frost took over and attending to developing that self-efficacy through, you know, have talent evaluation, recruiting, the recruiting effort to go out and sign the best players you can. But it doesn't end once you sign those players and you get them on campus. From there, you have to develop them. You have to take what they already do really well, and you have to continually add and refine component skills. You know, an offensive lineman, it could be as simple, you know, I don't mean to oversimplify it, but, hey, this player got by just by being a, you know, physically dominant player in high school. He's so much stronger than everybody else. Well, now in college football, everybody's the same amount, you know, same amount of strength, you know, athleticism. So you got to start working on the other skills of, you know, properly IDing defensive fronts, um, the small adjustments in technique. But on a program level, a very holistic basis of the entire program, all those position groups contribute to that. And that comes from, and that's even more impacted by the coaching coming from the position coaches and the direction set by the head coach. You brought up something there, and and then I, I it, it generated a question in my brain, and then like a fart in the wind. No, I know how that goes. <laughs> it just disappeared. Uh, so Colorado, the 2001 Colorado game um, was, if I'm understanding you correctly, and, and I'm trying not to put, that was the end of the allure. Yeah, um, I think it, it was the end of the allure, but I, I kind of think it was like a – oops, sorry. I accidentally kicked my computer. Um, Not ideal. No. This thing's very old. It needs to last me another year. <laughs> uh, it, it was the end of the allure, and it was almost as if the program was dead. We just didn't know it yet mm. after that. And we've tried a lot of different approaches, um, and we've always thought that we could – it's kind of like – our self-efficacy after that game went from we are Nebraska and we are so good, you know, we dominate the landscape of college football because of the things we do on a daily basis to, oh, we'll be okay, we're Nebraska. So we still had that general belief in ourselves, that referent self-efficacy mm-hmm. with nothing really to back it up. You know, you saw – problems in recruiting, you saw problems in program management, coaching leadership in the years to follow. And yeah, it I mean, really it really caught up with us, you know, after Bo Pelini was fired and, you know, the Mike Riley era. And unfortunately, Scott Frost has really had to bear most of that brunt, you know, kind of sweeping up the mess left behind by 17 years of program mismanagement leading up to when he got hired here. And so I think you're still seeing the residual effects of that, even going into year four, because I 
don't think it's ever been properly addressed. We've always wanted to look for the quick fix. We've never really wanted to just sit down and say, hey, our self-efficacy right now, and no one sitting in the programs using it as self-efficacy. They're they're saying self-efficacy. They're not a psychology nerd like I am. They're more probably saying, hey, like, We've had four. We've had four straight years where we haven't had a winning record. Our confidence is in the fucking tank right now. What are we going to do about it? Instead, it's always been, oh well, Scott Frost is back. He's got to lead us back. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just been like this. Oh, it's fixed. It's you know, we we hired this guy. It's fixed. It's we've never, as a fan base, and maybe that's even pervasive to the inside of the program. It's never been that honest, self-reflective assessment of where we're at of, hey, we are not good. What are we going to do to get there? How do we get there? Okay, we need to address our self-efficacy. Well, let's go win some games. Okay, well, how are we going to go win some games? I w- it- you know, it's it's a, we have to look at it at a more granular level. You know, it can't be the 30,000-foot view. It needs to be very granular. It needs to be you know, the deep dive and addressing every facet, you know, and there are some things that Frost has done a really good job of, um, you know, remedying the issues with strength and conditioning, bringing in Dave Ellis, you know, from a nutrition standpoint. Um, those are key components, but we haven't seen them translate yet. And I think it's a case of you want to, you, you want to be the man, you got to beat the man. Well, in order to beat the man, you got to have the skills necessary to do it. How are we developing those? So, part of uh, this this follow up uh, jogged uh, one of my questions, and I feel a sneeze coming on, so I apologize if I oh, go quiet go quiet briefly. But uh, in reference to the administration, and here comes the sneeze, and that's over with. Uh, but in reference to the administration saying, well, you know, they're, they're Husker fans, just like you know they're. Cubs fans or, you know, I'm a Cardinal fan, so, you know, the Cardinal fans still show up, you know, almost to the detriment when it's a bad season, still show up in support, is, oh, they'll, they'll always come out. They'll always come out without – and we do it because I, I – for a couple of reasons. One, we're still waiting for that light bulb to, to turn back on, for everything to click, make sense in Memorial Stadium, and to, you know, uh, uh, blow a, uh, an opponent out, out of the building. Two, we have a little bit of a sense of that pride, and we don't want to let go of that consecutive sellout streak. Uh, right yeah, or wrong? I, right or wrong? I, I agree with that. You know, there's and there's nothing wrong with having that pride, but it can't get in the way of you know an honest evaluation of where we're current, where we are currently at, and where we want to ultimately get to. And I kind of think like, how do you fix this program self-efficacy? Well, and this will kind of segue into our next, you know, concept that we're going to be discussing. Um, you got to, you got to set attainable goals for your program. Um, I know a lot of Husker fans, and again, this is probably something that became pervasive to the entire program inside the program when Frost took over. A lot of Husker fans said, oh, Scott Frost is here. He just led UCF to go in 13 and up. We are going to do the same thing. You know, and it was like the Camelot came back. It was rebuilt overnight. The past glories of the 90s, you know. And 
when it probably should have been, again, properly framed as a total reboot of, hey, our goals right now are, you know, win, maybe not even win the West Division at that point, but, you know, beat Iowa. Let's just use that as an example. It's our most hated level. Beat Iowa. You know, you, you start small. You have proximal goals, smaller proximal sub-goals that are closer to you in distance and time than this large, big goal winning a national championship that's way out on the horizon so far that you can't even see it or feel it or it has no immediacy effect. So so if we would have set small goals like, hey, we're going to beat Iowa, Northwestern, and Minnesota this year, and then, you know, let's say you accomplish those goals, and then the next year it's – or maybe that same year, actually, it would probably be more appropriate to say we're going to beat those three teams, we're going to go to a bowl game. Say you accomplish that. Then the next year, it's, hey, let's go win the West Division. You know, look what we did last year. We beat these three teams out of the West. We, you know, we went to a bowl game. Let's go, you know, let's go for something a little bit more. We have that referent self-efficacy, that confidence that we can refer to based on our prior past accomplishments. And it just builds upon itself. Success begets success, you know. Um, I think that would have been the proper way to do it. I think that we get so focused as a program of when are the glory days going to be back? When are we going to be duking it out with schools from the South for national championships? When are we going to be in New Year's Six Bowl games, college football playoffs? We get so focused on that, that target fixation, that we ignore the actual incremental stepping stones that proximal sub goals provide on our way to a larger goal. And that impacts motivation and that impacts a lot, a lot of different things when you're trying to accomplish a specific goal or a specific task. I, I want to, the, your explanation of the proximal goal setting of, uh, I have a, a, a simpler uh Phrase, I think, for it. Mm-hmm. Tell me if I'm uh, wrong, uh, but it's aim small, miss small. No, that's perfect. That is that is perfect. And I wish that we maybe would have had this conversation like a month ago because <laughs> I definitely would have included that in one of my uh, final papers for this semester. Because well, I tried, I but you're like, no, topic. Greg. Yeah, you tried to come in clutch. I just, you know, I dropped the ball on that. You're, um, you're like, sorry, Skip. I got all this important master's uh, program schoolwork to do. I. Come on the podcast. I'm busy doing important stuff. Well, I know there's this gem buried in there. <laughs> no, aim small, miss small. You know, when you have that smaller, that smaller goal, that proximal sub goal, you're able to break things down in a way that it's manageable, you know, and you're able to focus on what's important right now. Well, in the terms of this conversation, you know, what's important right now? Well, beating Iowa, beating Minnesota, beating Northwestern. Let's focus on that. When you're at the level that we've been at for the past four years, you can't be going to, you know, I mean, you can think this way, but it's not conducive to success to be going to practice every day and be like, or the weight room every day, be like, oh, man, I'm going to hit 585 for four reps on back squat. And, man, Alabama better look the fuck out because we're coming, you know. It's, It's probably not very conducive because there's a whole lot of other things that need to be attended to before you can get to that point. Basically, it's like it's it's like going up a set of stairs. Each each stair is an increment, and you go up that set of stairs by 
getting a little bit better one step at a time. Incremental improvement. And we've we oh, talked gosh, about incremental I have improvement missed, for years. I have years missed ago. that phrase, Haas. Oh. I, I said that word so many times. We almost put it on a shirt. Yeah, yeah, we, we talked about putting it on a shirt <laughs> along with the half 150 burger uh, shirts when we finally dropped 50 points on Iowa. And it's funny, I say that right as we hit the 50-minute mark on this podcast. Um, serendipity right there. Okay. But, uh, yeah, uh, we talked about incremental improvement a lot. And so, like, it's kind of funny that we were talking about this three years ago where I really didn't have any knowledge, like formal academic knowledge on the topic, you know. And now here we are, you know, life comes full circle. But you got to incrementally improve a little bit at a time. And I think the opposite of incremental growth theory is a fixed entity mindset theory. Instead, we've always had this fixed mindset where it's like, oh, we're in Nebraska. We belong up there with Alabama. You know, we belong up there with Clemson and Oklahoma and Ohio State. And it's like mm, our past history, you know, recent history doesn't suggest that. Uh, last time we were truly dominant was a completely different era of college football. We need to restart from ground zero and view this in the way that we described of aim small, miss small, get one step better. You know, Bo Pelini, as much as I didn't really like the guy, you know, as being head coach here at Nebraska, he always said, focus on the process, get better every day. Oh, he was from an academic standpoint, he was spot on with that. I, I'm actually wearing my uh, – I think these shirts came around right at the beginning of the Frost era or, or the, that his first season, 2018. I'm actually wearing my day-by-day three-stripe Adidas yep. shirt. Um, but – oh, tell, you, you mentioned you know the, the lineman who's getting in there doing 585 or whatever, back squats and like, look out Alabama. And yeah – we got to get there, but also there are some factors that are out of our control. For example, Alabama may lose to Georgia, so not make the college football playoff, which would leave uh, Georgia, Clemson, uh, I believe probably Oklahoma, and Nebraska. So, I mean, there's a chance that Nebraska makes the the college football playoffs this year, and Alabama doesn't. I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm drinking no, the Kool Aid, no, awesome. Drinking no, the Kool Aid. That, that's a completely that that's the complete right way to look at things. Like you always want, like ultimately, like that's what you want to do, but you can't be, and that gets more like that is kind of a parallel to like, you know, incremental improvement, incremental improvements, more of a uh, mastery goal. You're trying to master what you're doing. You're not worried about what anyone else is doing. You're just worried about what you are doing. You know, you're focusing on, you're attending to everything that you need to get done. You're fulfilling all your obligations. You're putting forth all the effort. Then you have the performance goal orientation where people are, you know, you're, you're working on something and you're just doing it for the prestige or you're just doing it because you want to be recognized by others. And it's like, that's not exactly a sustainable way to do something. It's better to just focus on what you need to take care of because at the end of the day, nobody else is going to do it for you. Only you are going to do it for yourself. Hoss, is it all right? Can I, can I give you and the listeners a little glimpse into my my life here at the uh, Mahachko household? It, it, it's your show, Skip. Can, can you, you have that executive privilege. Can you hear the child screaming in the background? I can, yes. Okay, so that is Rob. 
and Rob waited until M- Matt was the other screaming child, and I'm currently holding Matt, who's sleeping a little bit in my in my arms right now, and on occasion smiling because he knows that I can't do anything about Rob because I'm holding him. And if I put him mm-hmm. down, he's going to start screaming. So this is a uh, this is not a catch twenty two. This is like a catch forty four because they're twins, and it's it's everything's doubled. So uh, I apologize to the listeners. But hopefully you understand my circumstances. It's 10 o'clock at night, and me and apparently Rob are the only ones awake. So, um, but I want to go back to self-efficacy, because I feel like there's... Don't you start. Uh, <laughs> there's, uh, I feel like there, there's uh, an important question that, we haven't, that I haven't asked yet about self-efficacy that, that should be asked, and that is... I don't know if we want to go in the Frost era, Riley, Polini, or what, but since the the mystery, the magic, the allure was removed uh, in in Boulder 2001, can you think of any other specific times when that lack of self-efficacy played a part in the outcome of a game? Yeah, Um I would probably have to say 2018 Nebraska Ohio State. Um, you know we we were two and six heading into that game. We had just beaten Minnesota and Bethune Cookman, and we took the ball to start the game. We went down, scored, went up seven nothing right away, and then well, Caleb Lightborn. We tried the onside kick that was botched horribly, and um, but we still recovered from that. You know we recovered from that to the point of. We took a 21-16 lead into halftime. And on the first drive of the second half, Lamar Jackson picked off Dwayne Haskins in the end zone and snuffed out their drive. And We had a nice long drive that got all the way down, you know, inside the red zone. J.D. Spielman dropped a touchdown pass on third down. And then Adrian had a bad turnover inside the 10-yard line where on a backwards lateral. And then Ohio State kind of took over from there. And I think, I think that self-efficacy, what we've discussed tonight on this podcast, I think that game really painted that picture of we, I think we were so surprised that we were right there, that we were right there with a top 10 team in a game where going into the season, people thought we were just going to get our asses kicked. And I think like our lack of self-efficacy at that point, um, it waned and we just, you know, we let that game get taken back over by Ohio state. I think that's a really good example. I would probably say the past three Iowa games that we've all lost, you know, on the last possession each of the past three years, I think that's a really good example too, because I think in 2018 and 2019, it was just, holy shit, we're, we're right here at the end, you know? And then we couldn't, we couldn't quite close it out. Um, and there were, you know, probably dozens of opportunities at each juncture, you know, dozens of other opportunities in each game to win the game without it coming down to the final play. But I think that we just had to rebuild that confidence. And, you know, we had, you know, we started to see that confidence, that self-efficacy emerge, but just wasn't quite strong enough to get us over the hump. 2018 Ohio State, I 
now that I know what self-efficacy means, <laughs> I definitely, mm-hmm. uh, you know, see where a, a, a lack of, uh, impacted that game. Yeah. You know, it's, it's one of those, it's right there for the taking and you're in there and you, like you said, you're leading at halftime and you snuff out a drive and then all of a sudden you don't, you, despite the fact that you're performing brilliantly up to that point, you're like, there, there's that, like, like, you, there, somebody, and it's, unfortunately, it's infectious. You're like, I can't believe we're here. Well, mm. holy crap, we're not supposed to be here. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's, and, and then it's it, kind of like, you it, know, they went up to a girl, you know, a really hot girl and asked her out, and they're so shocked that she said yes that they didn't even know what their next move was. They forgot to get her name and number. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, they're like, oh, well, uh, yeah, I'll see you next Tuesday. Oh, wait, fuck. Right. Uh, my, my two and a half month old just chuckles at that. Uh, you got a long well, way I'll to keep, go, I'll, Buckaroo, before you start thinking I'll, about that. I'll keep the custody of minimum since there's a, a, you, a weed lad in you, our midst. You're on headphones. They can't hear a thing. Oh, okay. Let them fly, just like the olden days. Well, you know what really gets me going, you know, and really excited to talk about school football is talking about some fucking self-efficacy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's what every it's what everybody you know tuning in when when yeah. when the topic when the uh, when the subject of this podcast reads the return of Hoss Reuter, self-efficacy and proximal goal setting are not. Phrases that they thought be like, can't wait for him to break down what he saw in the offensive line in the spring game. And if we I haven't even had a chance to rewatch that yet, <laughs> I was gonna say, if we so. had time at the end of the show, maybe, but it doesn't sound like uh, Hoss is, is fully studied up on, on mm-hmm. the subject. Uh, so we've talked about self efficacy, we've talked about the proximal goal setting, aim small, miss small, mm-hmm. uh, and we've talked about incremental improvement, um, mm-hmm. which I feel like incremental. Improvement in, in the uh, proximal goal setting or aim small, miss small kind of go hand in hand. Um, yeah, they're, they're totally – they're intertwined completely. And I, th- I think we've covered this, but but since it's in the show notes, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, at least include this <laughs> line at item, uh, the fixed mindset, which if, if what I'm – I think we've already covered it because you said we're Nebraska – and it's mm-hmm. just a matter of time until we get to the promised land because we're in Nebraska. No, you still have to put in the effort. And, and I'm, I, you know, I, I'm not saying that you know the guys aren't out there trying their best. No, I course. think you know, but yeah, that's not but, what I'm saying. No, no, no. But there's still there are a lot of factors that go. Yeah, there were a lot of factors that went into Nebraska being Nebraska for 35, 30, you know, almost forty years between the sixties and and oh, you know, two thousand, two thousand one. It didn't just happen overnight. And anybody who thinks that it did forgot that before the internet, people were calling for the resignation or the firing of Tom Osborne. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, before, they're like, oh, he, and this is a guy who was, you know, as, as successful as Bo Pelini, but with a, a much more Nebraska friendly temperament, I believe would be the, uh, way to, one way to put it, way to approach that. Um, but, it, you know, it's like, oh, he can't, he can't beat Oklahoma. He can't win the big bowl game. What's he even doing here type of thing? And so we're – the only thing that we're doing is instead of instead of having that conversation at the coffee shop in Brainerd with Bob, 
you're welcome for that, Hoss. I knew that. <laughs> uh, you're you're having that on social media, and you're you have that that benefit of anonymity, which doesn't make you any more right, wrong, or otherwise, but it does make you a bit more of an asshole, mm-hmm. you know. And and because there's no, it, it goes back to, you know, kind of the the general rule of thumb of of talking online is. If you're not going to say something, you know, insulting or, or whatever from somebody and risk getting punched in the face in person, you, the the only option is to go online and say, you know, it's if you're not going to say it in person because of uh, fear of retribution, don't say it online just because you can hide behind the keyboard. You know, it, it's it's easy yeah. to be tough behind the keyboard. Uh, hey, I, put, put, put your name on it. Right. You know? Exactly. Um, um, that, this thing drove me nuts with some of the commenters on my Core Nation articles, you know, who... Coming there during the Riley era, you know, talking shit, you know, about me defending a, you know, breaking down a play that, you know, didn't score a touchdown or, you know, wasn't actually effective, but it was an interesting concept that bared discussion. It's like, you know, I understand that you want to see plays broke down that scored touchdowns, but at the same time, like, I'm going to write about what I think is interesting and try to, you know, educate, you know people on why it was a good call even though it didn't work out I mean, it's like a lot more respect for you if you put your fucking name on how, how many times and, and obviously this predates the Riley era so I apologize but how many times can you break down a play that's uh, Amir Abdullah runs for a touchdown Rex Burkhead runs for a touchdown you know they're, yeah. they're only so big but because they're they're and, and again look we all love Husker touchdowns you know, mm-hmm. I've yet to release a red balloon in Memorial Stadium. Someday my children will. And I never have, actually. Well, you're missing out, apparently, from what I see. Uh, you know, I'm usually, <laughs> you know, I don't know, high-fiving and celebrating, you know. Well, my children will, okay? You're not going to take it away from that's me. That's fine. And neither know? are those environmental hippies. Yeah, that's, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not judging anybody for the balloon. But, well, yeah, I do judge the balloon tradition. I don't judge anybody for wanting to partake in it. <laughs> hey, if my kids – my my problem uh, – and I'll say this because, you know, he's not listening. But my five-year-old, who's obviously the only one old enough <laughs> to hold a balloon, um, mm. he wouldn't want to let go of it. He'd be like, this yep. is my balloon. Why would I get rid of this perfectly good balloon? Well, son, let me tell you about this thing here in Nebraska called the tradition of the first score. All right, first yep. touchdown, except all those times we didn't really have a touchdown. So, <laughs> sorry. There have been some times, though. I've been in some games where we've gotten our asses kicked where I'm like, should I buy a balloon and release it when we finally get a first down? <laughs> uh, I, we got uh, off on such a uh, tangent that about balloons and stuff that I forgot where we're uh, – oh, breaking out in the anonymity. Yeah, uh, the – I wonder, and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna bring him up because I know he's one of your favorites. Mm-hmm. There are some people in in the fan base who, and I'll, I'll I'm not gonna call them out, um, but they are recently retired podcast friends of ours <laughs> uh, who think that we should go full William Tecumseh Sherman, uh-huh. scorch Earth the uh, consecutive sellout streak. Like, let's say we lay well, an I'm- egg against Illinois. Bert Bielema, uh, and and you know he's got those fighting the line knife fired up, and we do not play to our best. Well, we just don't show up against Fordham, and there goes the sellout streak. And then, let, let me put it this way: I wouldn't want to see it end that way. Yeah. But if you were to ask me, 
hey, the sellout streak can continue for another 40 years or you can get back to winning national championships, but you can't have both. Which do you take? I'd be like, give me the national championships. Who wouldn't, though? I mean, it. Oh, no, I know some fans. Trust, I know some that are like, no, that's too important. It's like, no, it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. And and look, I, it, I'm not here to uh, dispute the the um, qualifications, perhaps, or the legitimacy, I suppose, of the sellout streak. But you do have corporations that buy mm-hmm. buy up tickets, and it's it's perhaps it's a sellout streak, but it's not a you know fill the stadium streak. We can we yeah. can put that one to bed. You know, probably 25 years ago or 20 years ago. Um, but yeah, there was a you know there was one game a few years back that I got tickets from our uh, resident Cubs fan Nate McHugh for the Nebraska Illinois game in 2018, and it was like I don't know seven degree wind chills <laughs> yeah. at kickoff, and he gave me four tickets, and only three of us went. But um, I may, we we did that by design because we wanted the extra room in the Memorial <laughs> Stadium because you know. You know, we're both uh, us three. Me and my two friends that were at the game, we're both you know, well built, corn fed, you know, fellows. And uh, when you're putting on the uh, winter coats and the extra layers, you know, space is at a premium in Memorial Stadium to begin with. So we wanted a little extra room. I I can't wait to take in a game at at, at the hallowed uh, stadium. I feel like I need to drop. Well, we can have that conversation off air. Let's just say I stepped on the scale this past week and it wasn't friendly. So I need to drop some LBs before I feel confident going in there and not needing two seats for, or, you know, two tickets for myself. <laughs> well, I, I, I will say this. I'm not, I, I'm not body shaming anybody in the least bit. Um, you know, it's that it, when you go to a college football game, it's, you know, you're just, you're packed in like sardines to begin with. But I went with a friend of mine to the 2018 Nebraska-Colorado game, Frost's first game, you know, because the Akron game was sure. canceled. And I'm five foot ten, 205 pounds. You know, I'm stocky, built like a running back. And my buddy who went with me to the game is about, I'd probably say 6'2", 6'3", probably 245, 250 pounds, you know. So you got us two sitting there. You know, we're both wide-shouldered. And we're sitting next to a guy who is probably, I mean, he's built like a literal silverback gorilla. And I mean, this guy was just, I mean, like just big, you know, it looked like he should have been out there playing nose guard uh, against Colorado for us. But um, he took up so much room to the point where like I had to start kind of leaning an elbow into his side to kind of get him to back (laughs) off, you know, and scoot over a little bit. And, uh, you know, either him and his wife got tired of being there or he got the message because after halftime they didn't come back. I will, uh, again, my, I've been to, uh, Husker football games at the Rose Bowl when I saw Nebraska UCLA in 2012, which, um, if you want to go get technical, that's also the last time I was on an actual vacation. So almost nine years ago. Uh, and then I've seen two Nebraska football games at, uh, Illinois, you know, Champaign Memorial Stadium where mm-hmm. the, you know, it wasn't a sellout and I could, in fact, the first time I went with my wife and had so much room around us that, you know, we stood up and were quite comfortable. And the second time around was sitting around a bunch of other Husker fans and again, standing up and quite comfortable. So haven't been in that shoulder to shoulder, you know, type of space before, but I will say this, I'm also kind of an a-hole when it comes to, this is my space in a tight 
uh, in confined area, and that is on an airplane. I am pushing 6'3", and, well, I'm, I'm high, heavier than I've ever been, if you can believe that, uh, right now. But, again, go back almost nine years ago, flying out to San Diego, which was the last time I was on a plane, and I will keep my feet in front of me. I will keep my knees in front of me, and you are not going to be able to back up, you know, like recline your chair. Mm-hmm. This is my space. I'm sorry. I don't recline my chair because I don't want to infringe on somebody else's space. And I apologize, but I will stop them with my knee, and they'll be like, oh, oh can you move your knees? I really can't. There's no space. Sorry. <laughs> so that, that, that's the greatest part about being only five foot ten. Leg room in an airplane, never an issue for me. I I started doing that to um, like reserve your seat online or whatever and, and picking my seat, which it, there's a joke mm-hmm. in there my mom would make, uh, <laughs> and and I go for uh, like the very front row and you got to we went out west the last three times we flew it was out west so it was frontier, um, and uh, so it was like the front row in the you know economy class or whatever so where you have a little extra leg room. Or I'll, I'll take a, uh, emergency row seat. I don't care. I, I can handle that re- little bit of responsibility. Give me a little extra. I still don't recline my chair. You know, speaking of like stadiums and seating, when I went to the Nebraska Northwestern game in 2018 and no one's going to confuse Ryan Field and Evanston for one of the hallowed meccas of college football, but I loved how it wasn't there wasn't a whole lot of people there because like in my seat, I had plenty of room. I was sitting with my friends at the game. It was like, we each had like a foot between ourselves, you know? And it's like, God, this is great. Like I actually have room. I can lean back on the bleacher behind me, you know, as I'm sitting here. And then, you know, it kind of almost made me just a little envious about being a fan of a lesser (laughs) program where it's like, God, could you imagine if you could just go to games like that all the time and have that much room? Would uh, it, I don't know. There, I, I watched the spring game. And we didn't have the sea of red. We had like the pretty decent sized pond of red. You know, mm-hmm. uh, so I'm excited for full stadiums again. You know, hopefully Fine. this fall you know, things are better. Uh, I'm not. I'm not here to tell you, you the listener, one way or the other, what you should do, what you should not do, what you should or shouldn't put in your body. That's that's your call, not mine. Um, but I just want a return to normalcy. Um, so let's all, you know, row the boat towards that, if you will. Uh, you know, <laughs> when, uh, God, oh, when I was watching, when we were watching football last fall, you know, ne- watching Nebraska games, the crowd, it never, I never even noticed, you know, any difference because I was just, I'm always just so dialed in on the actual game. But when I'd be watching like NFL games or other college games with empty stadiums or, you know, quarter capacity stadiums, that's when it would hit me. Cause it's like, God, you know, like when you're just watching it as a casual fan, when you have, you know, no team playing in the game you're watching that you're, you know, have an emotional attachment to and you're so focused on it, that's when you want to see the, you know, really notice the atmosphere at those games. Well, real quick, speaking of NFL, I know that you're a Chiefs fan. Mm-hmm. Don't start now. It was so good. And uh, what, what can you tell me about the uh, uh, undrafted free agent signing of DiCaprio Bootle? You know, 
I think that's a I, I, I think that's a solid pickup for the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, especially with the forty time that DiCaprio Boodle ran at his pro day. Um, and there's a little bit of retooling of the defensive secondary that the Chiefs are doing, so he might he might have a shot of getting on the roster, you know, maybe playing special teams, you know, for first year and seeing if he can break into the, you know, rotation or the starting lineup. So it'll, it, I'll be curious to see how uh, he develops. Before we let you go, Hoss, I know we, we joked uh, when we first started lining out the, this episode, we're like, it could be a three hour show. It's not yeah. going to be. Uh, Hoss is a busy man. I, at some point I'm going to require a little bit of sleep before, you know, the, the overnight feedings begin. We talked quite a bit about self-efficacy. We talked about incremental improvement and the uh, aim small, miss small, proximal goal setting. Were, was there any other technical terms that you uh, you wanted to bring up that that we we haven't yet? Uh, any, anything psychologically speaking um, that that we could discuss regarding the Huskers that that maybe we we haven't gotten to yet, or, or that I erroneously skipped over over the show notes? Not really. Um, we've done a pretty good job of covering everything that was in the show notes, but I will say this it doesn't really pertain to, you know, Husker football in 2021. But as I get deeper into this graduate program that I'm in in educational psychology and I learn these different concepts and, you know, obviously being a football guy, you know, I think of them in terms of football, you know, football programs. Learning all this stuff, it is very evident to me why Tom Osborne was the greatest college football coach of all time. Because that background that he had in educational psychology, he utilized every, almost every concept in the different theoretical frameworks inside that, his program. And, you know, he had great talent. He had the greatest strength and conditioning program in the country. And he's the, in my opinion, the greatest offensive play caller of all time. But those tr- things that he had going for him were supported by what he put into place from an educational psychology standpoint. I mean, he, he did the same things, proximal goal setting. Hey, in order to win the national, we want to win the national championship. Well, what do you have to do to win it? Well, you got to win your conference. Well, to win your conference, who are the most important teams that you have to beat? You know, he took a very aim small, miss small, incremental approach. Uh, he viewed development of players similarly, you know, the building of self-efficacy and the component skills, the proximal goal setting. Um, it's no wonder why he is the greatest of all time, because he was putting that stuff into practice. I have what could be a short answer, a long answer, something or a Something abstract, I don't know, but I wanted to ask, what is the one factor that's going to get Nebraska back where we all hope and want it to go? By by that I mean like regular bowl games, Bo Pelini type of, uh, you know, record year in, year out without the blowout losses. You know, what's that? is, Is it going to be... Self-efficacy, the increment. Is it going to be something mental? Is it going to be recruiting? Uh, what What is it? Because I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, recruiting has improved. 
uh, you know, the last couple of years. Um, no, I don't think anybody can argue with that. But in your opinion, and again, folks, this is all opinion. We're, you know, Haas is coming at it from a very cerebral, uh, you know, mindful space. Um, and I think there's a lot of truth to what he says, but hey, we're, yeah, this take, is. Take with a grain of salt still. Yeah, he doesn't have the degree yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but next year, this time when he's finished his master's with the 4.0, then we can we we can start laying down some authority. I'd, I'd slam my fist on the ta- on the desk, but I don't want to startle the youngin that I'm holding and the youngin in the other room and uh, the family upstairs. But what's that one factor in your opinion that will will get? I don't want to say get Nebraska over the hump. Get them further along up up the hill, up the path, if you will. Uh, I think it's a combination of everything. I think it's an abstract uh, putting that's, it all together. That's all cheating, Hoss. That's cheating. All right. You want me to pick one? <laughs> I, I did ask for one. I, I like your answer. However, I was just wanting that, that one, um, that, that one thing, in your opinion, that's really going to get us there. But I, honestly, it, I think because we're recruiting well and everything that we've talked about tonight are things that I kind of I view as problems with inside the program. But I'm sure the people who are paid very well each year to develop players and run the program are aware of them. I think what it's going to come down to is the de- actual coaching and development. All right. I think that's one area that we've been lacking. In, because I, you know, I, I had this tweet during the Nebraska Northwestern game last year, when we were getting burned by Northwestern's receivers, and we were having our own at that time. We were having our problems getting receivers on the field to actually do something. You know? And it was why does how does Northwestern scheme these receivers open who look like their future actuaries at John Hancock? Yet we've got four-star receivers <laughs> all over our roster, and we can't get them on the field. Yeah, you know. So to me, that it really comes down to development because, and especially in the Big Ten, it's a developmental league. And I don't mean that in like a disparaging way, like right. it's the D league. I mean it in the sense of you have every to come and put in the, in the work. Conference signs good players or players that just simply fit their scheme and what they want to do, and they develop them. Right. They develop them, they refine them, they, they take them to a higher level. And I think, and that ties into self-efficacy, it's like that's what developing players is. It's, it's teaching them and developing the component skills of what's success, what success is for a position group and making them confident in their abilities and they're, you know, they're able to go out there and execute. And we don't, we haven't done a good enough job of developing players. Well, we should be able to develop guys and get them on the field and start seeing production from them. Instead, it's like this every year we're, we're kind of like, okay, well, who's going to replace, you know, few years goes, who's going to replace Stanley Morgan? Who's going to replace Divino Zigbo? Who's going to replace Tanner Farmer? There should be an and infrastructure then, in place. Yeah, there should be a structure in place. There, it should be a pipeline. Yeah. You know, it, it, you should be developing. Even when guys aren't stars, they should still be developing. So when it's time to step in, they're not getting that on-the-job training as being a starter. 
they've already had that training and becoming a starter is just their opportunity to show what they've already developed and then to further develop since they're seeing elite competition 12 Saturdays a year. Hoss, it has been an absolute uh, honor and a privilege to have you back on the show. Now that you're in your summertime schedule, maybe we can get you on to hear more, uh, sharing some of those sweet, sweet Husker baseball takes I know you've got. You know my stance on baseball. <laughs> uh, I'm yeah. a real sport. Yeah, that's that'll be enough out of you, sir. Uh, so, football uh, and basketball—that's it. Hockey, hockey's above basketball. I'm sorry. Volleyball, I guess. Volleyball's good. Um, that is it for this episode of the Five Heart Podcast. Once again, very special thank you to Haas Reuter, not just for being here, but for uh, reaching out and uh, and and just bringing bringing it. Uh, uh, bringing the juice, uh, the mental juice, if you will, <laughs> this uh, this episode. Haas, uh, Dr. Haas uh, is in. Ooh. Does that mean uh, uh, there's a PhD in your future? No, I, I, I don't hate myself that much. Fair, fair. I, I hear I hear but similar you, returns around my house when I ask that question. So You can use that in the show title. Dr. So. Haas is back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that is it for this episode of the Five Heart Podcast. For our, our, our esteemed guest, my esteemed guest in this bonus episode, uh, Dr. Haas Reuter, I am Greg Mahochko, and we remind you this week and every week that Five Heart is all the heart you need. Haas? Go Big Red and win the damn off season. Haven't heard that in a while. No, it all of a sudden came to me. I was like, oh, yeah, I need to say that. <laughs>